You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Locked On Indians. I am Jeff Ellis, the host. Uh, I was going through the history over uh, for what, was, what had happened you know, recently. Uh, I was looking at Sundays. I was looking at Monday, Mondays. On the 23rd of March, there wasn't much, but on the 22nd... Um, I know things around the, the country and the world right now aren't great, so I'll just give you the, uh, the, the trigger warning here. This won't necessarily be the happiest one. Um, the incident I am talking about occurred uh, in 1993, and it does involve uh, one of the more tragic moments in Indian's history, but it seemed that as I was going to record this on the 22nd that it would be appropriate to do a whole show and kind of look at the 1993 Indians, the effect of, I, I mean, if you haven't by now, you've probably figured out. I'm talking about the tragic boating accident that killed Steve Olin and Tim Cruz. Um, and while those two players um, passed away, and obviously that is the worst thing that happened by far, you know, there were two other players who basically saw their careers kind of unwind after this event. Um, so I thought it'd be time to, because I'm recording this on the, uh, the day that that occurred, uh, see that'd be what 27 years ago almost 30 years ago and it's one of it's one of those things I really remember you know the 92 Indians are when I started to really kind of lock in to the Indians and Steve Olin's uh, delivery was so original that uh, it really got my attention he was one of my favorite Indians at the time Um, I wasn't into the day-to-day in depth like I I didn't even know they had signed Tim Cruz I didn't know who Bob I'm gonna butcher his name and I know people you can correct me on it, uh, Bob Ojeda uh, was at the time, and I wasn't following the things like that, but Steve Olin was a favorite, and I thought, again, it just, since it is going to the recording of this fall on the day that that happened, uh, talk about the four players that really saw, I mean, two who died and two whose careers unwound, kind of go back and look at the effect on the Indians and uh, everything from there going forward. So let's just start out with the basics. There was a boating accident. Um, because Bob uh, Ojeda was um, slouching down, he was severely injured, but he uh, uh, he survived while uh, Cruz and Olin um, passed away. And you know, let's let's move from that because it is again a, a tragic thing, and there's enough tragedy right now in the world. So, but let's talk about Steve Olin, the player. Um, he is currently ninth all time in Indians history in terms of saves. He is fine. He only pitched in the majors for four years. Uh, first two years, he recorded a total of two saves during that time. But he did appear in those four years, 195 games. He was a, a rubber arm reliever. His 1992 season, 88 innings, 72 appearances, 29 saves. Uh, never missed a lot of bats. Uh, walk rate was up and down. Hit rate was up and down. But he was effective. He was one of those guys that you look at things like ERA plus and FIP. And uh, he outperformed those o- over the course of his career. I mean, those numbers are good. Don't get me wrong, but it, it's you can't get back past the fast. Can't get past the fact that relievers are volatile. But he was not. His numbers were pretty consistent. And uh, that final year, a two point three four three four ERA, the worst ERA of his career, was in his rookie year in '89 of a three seven five. He was effective. He was a very effective reliever. Um, 
in that final year there, he was making $300,000 in salary. He was a 16th round pick uh, by the Indians from Portland State University. That 16th round has a, an interesting spot in Indians history when you look at it. Uh, Buddy Bell is the best 16th round pick in team history. He was an Ohio high school kid. But some big names that they uh, drafted and failed to sign through the year. Steve Stone, uh, Terry Steinbach, John Farrell. You come up, uh, another one they, they drafted and failed to sign, Cody Allen, who'd become the all-time saves leader. Uh, and some effective guys for the Indians of the years, like TJ House, Ryan Merritt, and Aaron Laffey. It's actually a round where they've had a little more success than uh, other places in team history. But Olin came in, and you know the Doug Jones is all-time, I believe, third in saves in Indians history. And Jonesy was the closer in 90, and essentially when he was traded out, or when, I'm sorry, when he left as a free agent, not tr- it was Olin who stepped into that closer role and likely would have stayed in that role. It would have been interesting on those 90s teams um, with Jose Mesa and the other pieces in place. I still think Mesa likely ends up in a bullpen, but the, the back end of the Indians' rotation, rotation of their bullpen is a lot different if you have Steve Olin back there to, to pair with Mesa and Plunk and some of those other players. Um, We'll get more into that in a second. But, I mean, Olin, uh, again, only four seasons, only two as a closer. He's still ninth all-time. If Brad Hand is the closer all this year, he has a chance to pass him, which would put Olin to 10th all-time. You know, a late-round pick, overachieved, passed away at the age of 27. Um, Someone who should be remembered. And, like I said, his deliver will be one that, that stands out in my memory for a long time. Uh, probably as long as I'm following baseball. So the other player, um, that sounds terrible, phrasing it that way. Uh, Let's talk about Tim Cruz next. Now, Tim Cruz was not someone, again, that I was super familiar with at the time just because that was in my infancy as a baseball fan. Cruz had been really effective from 87 to 91 and had actually struggled in 92 with the Dodgers. So the Indians were kind of uh, adding him as a a bounce-back candidate. Another high-inning reliever, uh, had a few spot starts in there over the years, but had been, you know, I, we talk all the time about relievers and their up and down. Well, from 87 to 91, those five years, there was no up and down. Tim Cruz was just good. Uh, he was consistently good for the Dodgers. The Indians at that time, uh, he was the type of free agent that is, is perfect for the Indians. Someone who could give a veteran presence and to be a rebound candidate. He was a second round pick twice. Uh, back in the January draft, both times, Kansas City originally and Milwaukee. Uh, he would sign with the Brewers and kind of curious to see. Uh, eventually was traded with Tim Leary for Greg Brock. Uh, I remember the name Tim Leary. I do not remember Greg Brock, I'll be honest. But uh, yeah, Cruz was entering his age 32 year. Uh, bounce back candidate, veteran guy for the Indians. Uh, he would be 32 uh, two days after the accident that occurred. No, that's wrong. I'm sorry. 11 days after the accident, he would have turned 32 years of age. Um, you know, never got to, to see him suit up. I'm sure there's uh, spring training. I don't even know if we have spring training tape from back then, but that would be, you know, uh, rightfully, he should be someone who should be remembered for his time uh, as an Indian, even though we didn't get to see him play in the majors. Again, this is 
uh, when you look at the Indians as a franchise, you think about, you know, uh, Ray Chapman dying on the field. We talked about him in the all-time Indians and this, and it does make you feel, um, along with their drought and, you know, things like the Mays catch and everyone forgetting that was against the Indians team that had set all sorts of records for wins that uh, there are times where Cleveland feels a little bit cursed. So we come back from the break. Uh, again, sorry for a show that is a, a bit of a downer, but I think it's it's important to, to give these players their time, uh, go back and and look at some of them, and, and we'll talk about the future as well and, and kind of do a what-if from this point. But uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about two other players who were definitely affected by this. We're going to look at the 1993 Indians. We're going to look at the 1994 draft, and uh, we're just going to think about what would have happened if things had turned out differently if this uh, great tragedy had been avoided withings is back with us and that is fantastic you guys know i don't like to read straight ad copy i like to be honest with you and i've also been very honest about how important our sponsors are to keeping shows like mine alive and going strong withings is a really interesting product one of those that as i read the ad copy i'm like this is pretty cool it is a smart scale and it's not just any smart scale it it was the first smart scale and is currently the best smart scale tom's guide rated the withings body plus the best overall smart scale for 2020 this one has all the right tools you're going to download the app for ios or for android and the nice thing about the uh, scale and the app is it's wi-fi and bluetooth most are just bluetooth this is the one that's going to give you wi-fi as well you don't have to have your phone with you to make it work now what does the body plus give you it gives you your weight a full body composition weight trends and even tells you what the weather was today and the scale can support up to eight user eight users so everyone in your household can have their own profile here's the deal though you're going to get 25% off this great scale, a Withings Body Plus right now at withings.com. For a very limited time, go to withings.com, W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S.com slash MLB to get 25% off the Body Plus Body Composition Scale. That's W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S.com slash MLB to get 25% off the Body Plus Body Composition Scale. If you need a scale, go check it out. Okay, so let's talk about... That was a, a very happy comeback for um, not the happiest of, of topics, but let's just get into it. So we, um, Bobby, Bobby, Bob, OJ, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to pause the podcast. I'm back. So Bob Ojeda, if I got the correct pronunciation, interesting fact, uh, his agent was, towards the end, was Ron Shapiro, the uh, father of Mark Shapiro. Bob Ojeda was a really, I don't know if really, but he was an effective left-hander for a lot of years. Came up with Boston, uh, finished third in the Rookie of the Year, had a, with the Mets, had a fourth in the MVP, uh, Cy Young, 21st in the MVP finish. Though his 88 season was honestly his best, where he led the the league in FIP and strikeouts uh, per walk ratio, and that's... He was never a big strikeout guy, but he uh, early in his career, at his most effective, he was a guy who really limited his walks. The left-hander had been a solid, steady starter for a lot of years. Yes, his last year at age 34 with the Dodgers was his worst, but he was still, um, numerically, when you look at things like his ERA+, plus, it's a 96, a little bit below average, uh, FIP of 376. He was still about a average arm. When you look at the 93 Indians, we'll get on in a bit, they didn't have average arms at all anywhere um you put now ojeda only pitched uh, 43 innings for the indians but was uh 99 era plus uh w- was surprisingly effective for them 
he would come back in 94 and pitch three innings with the Yankees, and that would be it. Age 36, he was kind of nearing a natural end, but you do wonder um, if that would have been the case if not for the, the crash. He was... That's my cat chiming in her opinion. Um, it just... You, those crafty lefty types can stick around forever um, in a variety of roles, and when you look, again, at Ojeda, he had been good for outside of one season. Okay, there are two seasons where he was below 150 innings, but from 83 to 92, uh, the one year he had 118, the other year 46. So you're, you're looking during that time, almost every other year, he was just someone you could throw out there and count on. Best years with the Mets, and kind of brought to the Indians again is, is a, maybe a little bit of a rebound candidate, but uh, again, uh, we'll talk about the Indians pitching in a bit, but just keep in mind uh, he had been a at least a league average starter for the majority of his career. And then we have to talk about Kevin Wickander. Kevin Wickander uh, was a good friend of Steve Olin, and he was actually a second-round pick of the Indians out of Grand Canyon University in 1986. The 1986 draft, I was kind of digging into a bit, and it's it's an interesting draft. Uh, the Indians have never picked first overall, but they've had multiple times they picked second overall, because back in the day, it was AL one year, NL next year. And when the Indians are truly terrible, it never quite landed for them to have the top pick. It's okay, Greg Swindell was better than uh, the number one pick in the draft, Jeff King, who went to the Pirates that year. But Wickander in round two, um, he had been a pretty much a reliever from the start, had had some starts in King, King, Kingston, but had been a, an effective reliever coming up to the minors. One of those guys that is a, a pretty high pick was kind of counted on to be a part of that back-end crew for the Indians going forward. Um, it never quite materialized for him, uh, and then post everything that happened, um, the Indians traded him to Cincinnati, and he kind of bounced around for a little bit, but uh, ended up only pitching about 150 games in the majors, which some of those years and times he was quite effective, so it's interesting that he never got uh, a lot of consistent time in the majors. You know, it, it's it, his story continues. Um, you know, he, he kept, every time they went somewhere, he would set up a, uh, a locker for uh, Olin, who had been his best friend, and eventually the Indians traded him. He would bounce around and then spend some time in prison uh, because of theft and drug possession charges. Uh, you just can't help but wonder the effect of you know, not having been there and having lost his friend and everything else. It's just what that puts on a player, especially one that young who, you know, probably in his mind was imagining being the setup man for his best friend for the next decade to come. So the 1993 Indians were an odd team. Uh, I bet many of you didn't realize the catcher who started the most games, Junior Ortiz, because um, Sandy Alomar couldn't stay healthy. Uh, Alvaro Espinoza started the most games at third base, though Jim Tomey would eventually come in and as a rookie, just in terms of uh, the upgrade to Espinoza was huge. Uh, Felix Fermin was pretty terrible offensively. They had a DH who was not effective in Reggie Jefferson. You had Wayne Kirby, who was always a below average bat. Basically, at that time, you had Bell and Lofton, who looked like future stars, Bayarga, who was already kind of peaking. And Paul Sorrento, who was his typical self. The rest of that team would eventually come together with pieces here and there. But uh, especially with the addition of Tomy, you kind of saw what was going to be the uh, the center of, of those great 90s lineups. Pitching-wise, um, Charles Nagy had been an all-star the years bo- year before, but then had labrum surgery. So the starting pitching was, to put it nicely, a disaster. 
Uh, Jose Mesa was your leader in innings at 208. The next highest player for innings that year was Tom Kramer, who started 16 games uh, and worked another 23 out of the pen. Mark Clark pitched 110 innings and was by far their best starter. Jeff Mutis was third. Uh, Mike Pilecki, Matt Young, Cliff Young. Uh, anyone they could throw out there had, you know, Albi Lopez for nine. Dennis, uh, no, Nagy did have nine. Six for Grimsley. Uh, seven for Julian Tavares. It was, they were trying to see what would work. Um, the bullpen was one of the few bright spots. Uh, Eric Plunk was spectacular in the opportunities he got as a closer. He saved 15 games that year. Derek Lilliquist saved 10, 11 for Jerry Depoto. It was definitely closer by committee. All three of those guys were extremely effective out of the back of the pen. Jeremy Hernandez pitched very well, uh, over 77 innings in that role. And additionally, you know, Bill Wirtz, uh, people might have forgotten. I remember talking about him as a prospect as he came up. He was effective that year. Um, he's got Slocum made an appearance. Uh, some other names that stood out. You had Maliki and Malaki and Mike Christopher along with uh, Wickander um, for 11 games for the Indians. But uh, when you talk about this, the bullpen by committee, you talk about losing a starter in a season where they didn't have they had one league average starter. Um, you go back and you look at the difference time makes if all those parts and pieces are there. I'm, you know, the 93 Indians were a massive work in progress. Um, losing Nagy early on and as ineffective as he was, that was a huge thing as well. Uh, they finished with uh, second from the bottom in the East Division. They ended up with the 10th overall pick in the draft the next year. They weren't quite there, but they could have been a little bit better, um, conceivably a lot better. There's a chance that, you know, instead of going 76 and 86, if you get a league average Ojeda, who's good for about two wins, you had an Olin, who was good for about two wins at the time, you know, you're just getting up to 80. Maybe they pass the Red Sox and uh, end up being kind of uh, just below the Tigers. And that would probably change Indians history a bit because the 1994 draft might have been the best one of uh, the John Hart era. Uh, the top war player that year, I think, was Har Javier Vasquez when I did my research, who the Expos took in the fifth round. You might remember him for his kind of flaming out after he left Montreal. He had the did the implosion with the Yankees. Uh, you know, he'd been an All Star, and then it just the wheels fell off and. He only pitched one year in New York. They'd given him a big contract. He was, you know, after Pedro, he was kind of like the next arm to leave town. Uh, the Yankees traded Nick Johnson, Juan Rivera, and Randy Chope for him. And then uh, he was part of the package that brought Randy Johnson to the Yankees um, before eventually then being shipped to the White Sox. I mean, this is just, he got traded all the time for a period there. With that 10th pick, the Indians would take Jared Wright, uh, the high school kid. I had C.J. Nikowski had gone one pick before, and Mark Ferris, who never made the majors, went one pick later. The stretch from 12, 13, and 14, though, produced uh, three of the better players in the draft with Vasquez, and that's uh, Nomar Garciaparra, Paul Conarco, and Jason Veritek. If you're curious, those four, plus probably Ronnie Belliard, are the top five, maybe Keith Folk. So it wasn't exactly a loaded class, but again, this is one where the Indians did pretty well. The Indians didn't have a second-round pick because they signed Dennis Martinez. That probably worked out for them better than a second-rounder would have. 
Danny Graves uh, in the third round turned into an effective player. Rich Heis- Rick Heisman uh, at least made it to the majors, which was something uh, guys from the Indians weren't doing for a time. Bruce Avon had a, a bit of a run there. It looked like I thought he always was a guy who deserved more time than he got. Julio Matos, 16th rounder, who had some time up there. Chan Perry, who I remember. We mostly remember his brother Herbert, but Chan's one of those double-A guys. And the big one in the seventh round was Russell Brannion. Um, he's one of the top ten picks in this entire draft, and you go back and you look at value added and everything else. But, uh, again, a guy I've talked about many times, wrong era for, him, era for him. If he was in a today's day, he would be much more appreciated than he was then. But, uh, yeah, so when you look at the tragic events, and as we try to kind of put a picture together between all of it, um, you can see we never kind of quite figure the ripples of everything and, you know, the difference it would make in terms of the Indians and things like missing out on Jared Wright, maybe, or, or not missing out, or when you think about those Indians teams, uh, imagine if Steve Olin had signed a long-term contract, which I imagine he would have, and he had been another option out of the pen in 97, maybe we're talking about a team that won that year. Uh, the value of having someone like Tim Cruz around on a team that was very young uh, in 93, maybe that coaxes a few more wins out of them. It's, you know, it's, again, it's one of the biggest tragedies, if not the biggest in Indians history. So I wanted to, you know, look at the two players that were lost, the two players who really never seemed to come back from it, um, and then just the effects on the, the 93 Indians, because as we would see starting in 94, it was a franchise that was really turning itself around, turning into the powerhouse teams for the next five years. Because for as much as everyone talks about the 90s Indians, we really have to accept the fact it was really about a five-year run, um, not unlike the Indians of now. But you do wonder how much more would it could have been done if the team had had their closer the whole time, um, if it wasn't just Mesa, if Mesa's uh, arm hadn't been you know worn down, or if Mesa hadn't been in a position where he maybe got a little too sure of himself because of uh, record-setting seasons and things like that. You can... You can draw the line through there and, and kind of make your own assumptions or statements. But uh, like I said, as I'm recording this on the the anniversary of their passing, it just seemed like I had to do a whole show. It, it, I couldn't think of anything else. I know it feels like an odd time to do a show um, on maybe the biggest tragedy in Indians history, but it also feels like it would be... Uh, shallow to avoid it just because times are dark now. Shallow is probably not the word, but a little cowardly. Probably the better one. So I'm sorry. I'll come up with something a lot more upbeat tomorrow. I promise. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening. Um, go go home and, well, you probably already are home, let's be honest. Uh, when you're done listening, go, go throw up some videos of Olin pitching. I, I'm going to do that after I get done recording. I just... As a kid who was just getting into baseball, seeing him and his approach and being something that was unlike anything I saw or had seen um, just quickly made him a player I was so excited every time he was coming out of the pen. Uh, He really was one of those players who upset me on my Indians fandom, and I can't stress that enough. And He's one of those guys where, yes, I look at my advanced numbers, and I'm not sure how he did it, but uh, I just know he did it. And I remember he did it really effectively during his time uh, with the Indians. I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, Remember that uh, while you're staying home, 
that you can tell any smart device to play locked on Indians or locked on Browns or locked on, you know, Cavs. Let's talk, keep it Cleveland centric or locked on uh, MLB podcast and it'll pop right up and start playing for you. Uh, so take advantage of that. Make sure to keep listening. We are here to provide entertainment and tomorrow maybe we'll start uh, Tuesday draft day. I'll start with the uh, the first Indians draft and we'll start working our way through those every Tuesday. Maybe Monday we'll start doing the historical pieces. Tuesday is draft pieces. And we'll go from there. I'm going to try to figure out ways to record with people too. Maybe get some of my friends who are writers on and, and do a few more fun things. There's just more opportunities. So, uh, And remember, fill up that mailbag for me. You have all been awesome. Remember to rate and review, subscribe, download, listen, all that stuff to help our show grow. And as always, go Tribe.